was uh, sometime last year that uh, this magazine dropped through my door and it has such an arresting headline that I read it, unlike most of the uh, things that just dropped through my door unsolicited that go straight in the bin. I read this because of the headline. You probably can't see it from there, but it says, Change the day you die. Well, that got me thinking, so I opened it up and discovered that it's a, a health magazine. Page after page, selling products to make me healthy and so give me longer life. Change the day you die by um, taking omega-3 fish oils, multivitamins, cod liver oil tablets, vitamin C tablets, and so on it goes. It's sound advice, of course. Follow it, and you might well live longer, but you'll spend all that extra time opening packets and swallowing pills, it seems to me. Of course, it's not only this magazine that encourages us towards healthy living. When I registered with the GP just over a year ago after moving here, I was given an appointment with a practice nurse who encouraged me to eat five a day, five portions of fruit and veg, uh, to exercise, to avoid junk food, so out goes the the Easter eggs, uh, and to take a little alcohol each day. And it was advice that I was pleased to hear because life is very precious. We don't want to lose it. Uh, A news story from last year demonstrates that point. Uh, A man who'd been keeping his parents' bodies in a deep freeze as part of a long-running cryogenic experiment was forced to have them cremated, the news story tells me, after the system developed a fault and the bodies began to thaw. Uh, Raymond Martin, a French pioneer of cryonics, died in 2002 at the age of 84. In accordance with his wishes, his son Remy injected him with anticoagulants and put him alongside his wife, who'd been lying in the storage in the basement of their house in the Loire Valley since her death some 20 years earlier. The couple's body temperature was kept at a carefully controlled minus 65 degrees C. But one day last year, the son, Remy, went down into the basement and discovered the temperature had inadvertently uh, risen to minus 20 degrees C. He obviously wasn't that bothered about his parents, was he? And so they uh, had to be cremated. Well, the lengths we'll go to to avoid death. And frankly, I can understand why. As a vicar, it's not unusual for me to be with people as they die, as has happened in the last fortnight. And it's not unusual for me to be with their relatives after they've died. And it's a completely devastating moment. The pain is overwhelming. When you've experienced that, of course, you'd do anything to prolong life and avoid death, wouldn't you? But despite all our best efforts, eating well and taking exercise and buying helpful supplements... And regardless of the most ingenious scientific attempts to extend life, the painful fact is we cannot cheat death unless unless we believe the words of Jesus Christ. The words that I read at the beginning of every funeral service that I take, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. That is the marvellous message of Easter Sunday. Death has been defeated. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is true, then we can change the, the day we die. And so if the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is true, we would be fools to ignore it because it solves our ultimate problem. So is it true? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Or are we just kidding ourselves? That's the question Matthew wants us to ask as we read the last chapter of his Gospel, which we'll turn to in just a moment. Is it true? 
Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Or to put it another way, what happened to the body? Well, let me ask you this morning, how do you explain the events of that first Easter Sunday? How do you explain the missing body of Jesus? Here's one explanation. Somebody handed me this a couple of weeks ago. The Sunday Express Review of about a month ago carried the story, did you hear about it, about the coffin that supposedly has Jesus' bones inside, along with Mary and the rest of his family. And so disapproving, disproving the resurrection. Their headline called this the coffin that will kill Christianity. And of course their conclusion is right. If this coffin contains the bones of Jesus, then Jesus wasn't raised and Christianity is dead. And the Bible itself agrees with that logic. Turn with me to the first of the two readings that Matthew read for us. Uh, 1 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 1156 uh, in the church Bibles. I think it might help you if you had it in front of you. Page 1156, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's see that uh, the Bible agrees with the Sunday Express Review, at least at, at one level. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, look at the devastating conclusion that the Bible comes to. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. It's devastating, isn't it? Look down to verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men, writes the Apostle Paul. See, if Christ has not been raised, it's all a waste of time. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, please don't come back here next Sunday or ever again because there is nothing here for you Our faith is futile. There's no forgiveness of sins and there is no resurrection from the dead. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, please don't ask me to take the funeral of your loved ones because I've got nothing to say. And anyway, I won't be here because if Jesus has not been risen from the dead, then I'm resigning tomorrow and after a week's holiday, I'm going to be looking for a job stacking shelves in Tesco's. And that is about the only job I'll get because I'm not qualified to do anything else. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then let's tell the church wardens to lock the doors after this service, to sell the building, to become, what, a a carpet warehouse? Well, not in forward, of course, but uh, something like that. That's the logical conclusion. That's how significant and central the resurrection is. So we couldn't be asking a more important question today. What happened to Jesus' body? Are his bones in this coffin? Matthew would say no. Not at all. So turn with me for the rest of our time looking at the Bible together to Matthew chapter 28, page 1000 in the church Bibles. Page 1000. Matthew chapter 28. This chapter is a mystery thriller. It's not a murder mystery. The murder's not a mystery at all. We all know how Jesus was killed and who did it. The mystery is to do with the body. See, according to Matthew, as we read through Matthew chapter 28, the body's not in the tomb. So, so where is the body? And let's not understand what a conundrum that is. Because it is very difficult to get rid of a body once you've murdered it. Or, or so I've been told, just to reassure you. 
It is very difficult to get rid of a body once you've murdered it, as the man who murdered five Ipswich prostitutes uh, last year discovered. Trying to dispose of the bodies of those poor young women was impossible for him. It's not easy to get rid of a body. So where's Jesus' body gone? It's a crucial question because if the, if the body could be found then the resurrection would be shown to be nonsense as the Sunday Express gleefully points out. Well, scene one of this mystery thriller I've called The Unexpected Morning, verse one. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now see how Matthew sets the scene. These two women weren't expecting the resurrection. It doesn't say the two women went to look for the resurrected body of Jesus. They weren't expecting that at all. They went to the tomb. Mark tells us they were going there to anoint Jesus' dead body. They certainly weren't expecting the resurrection. You see, Mary and Mary had seen Jesus die. They were there at his crucifixion. Just cast your eye uh, back a little bit to chapter 27 and verse 55. At the scene of execution, verse 55, many women were there, watching from a distance. They'd followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. They saw him die and they watched him being buried as well, verse 59. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that had been cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Verse 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. See, they watched the tomb being made secure with a huge stone boulder. And no doubt they heard about the guard that was posted to keep the the tomb secure. Verse 62. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, Remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I'll rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise the disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead and this last deception will be worse than the first. So take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. You see, the the authorities were so worried about Jesus' body being stolen that they made the tomb totally secure. The women would have heard about that. So as they made their way to the tomb, verse 1, they weren't expecting what what came next at all. Scene 1, the unexpected morning. Scene 2, the shock of their lives, verse 2. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now I know some people get very nervous around graveyards but as someone who visits them regularly when I take funerals let me tell you normally graveyards are not scary places at all. In fact they're quite peaceful normally. But then there was nothing very normal about resurrection morning. On this morning there was a good reason to be scared. Strange things were happening. There had been a violent earthquake, verse 2, and that was significant. The earthquake was telling us that shockwaves would go from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. One writer, David Gooding, puts it like this. The resurrection of Christ has altered the face of the universe. Not only is death not an irreversible process, It is not even a permanent institution. There was an earthquake. And then there was the angel. His appearance, verse 3, was like lightning. 
Now, I don't know what that looked like. What was it that there was a crackling sound and sparks flying out from his body? Or was it that just looking like him was like looking at a bright searchlight? I don't know, but it was scary. So scary, verse 4, that the guards, these trained military men, shook and became like dead men. And so when Mary and Mary arrived, they too had the shock of their lives, verse 5. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid. They were surprised to see the angel. And they were surprised at what they saw. For the angel had rolled back the stone from the tomb, verse 2, and he sat on it. I love that. He rolled it back and then he sat on it. Just picture him, legs crossed, waiting for the women to arrive. And when they did turn up, he announced, verse 5, don't be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen. Now what would you make of that? You arrive at the tomb. The stone is moved back. The guards have scarpered. The tomb is empty and there's an angel. What can we deduce from that? Well, all sorts of things. You could conclude that the body had been stolen, couldn't you? Which takes us to scene three, the elaborate cover-up. Verses 11 to 15. Look at verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. I love imagining exactly what the soldiers told them. As these soldiers went off and and they found the chief priests, what did they say? We were guarding the tomb where Jesus was laid. There was an earthquake. Then we saw an angel. It was terrifying. I'd love to be in a fly on the wall when they explain the events. I'd have loved to see the faces of the chief priests. Earthquake, angels. But what is very striking is that religious leaders didn't treat these soldiers like a bunch of lying squaddies trying to get themselves out of a mess. If that had been the case, they'd have had their guts for garters. But no, verse 12, when the chief priests had met the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you're right to say, you were to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. See, the chief priests wanted to bury the truth. So they came up with this cock and bull story. And the soldiers, well, getting this large sum of money, they must have thought it was Christmas. They were obviously confused. It was Easter, but you know what I mean. They must have thought it was their lucky day. They thought they were going to get, in the, get it in the neck, literally. They could have expected to be executed for allowing the body to go missing. Instead, they received a very tidy sum, a little nest egg. Might even want to call it a little nest Easter egg. Well, they were bought off and they were told what to say and they got witness protection from the chief priest, verse 14. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And that's the story to this day, says Matthew in verse 15. And do you see the lengths people will go to to explain away the resurrection? And do you see why? If Jesus really has risen from the dead, as David Gooding said, the face of the universe has been altered. Jesus is the undisputed king of the earth and the heavens and the whole universe. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, we'd be idiots to ignore him. But you see, following Jesus can be thoroughly inconvenient when we've got our own little lives mapped out. Following Jesus and having to live under his rule can be a real pain in the neck. So do you see the lengths people will go to to explain away the resurrection and why? But of course, none of them add up. 
the explanation in verse three, that, uh, verse 13 that the body was stolen while the guards were asleep is just unbelievable. The Roman guards were highly efficient trained military men. The explanation in verse 13 that the disciples had the body is even more unbelievable because many of these same disciples died for this fact. Do you think they really would have been ready to die for a story they knew wasn't true? And if the authorities had Jesus' body, once this story about the resurrection started to do the rounds, well, they'd have been sure to get the body out and paraded around Jerusalem for everyone to see. So what do you make of it? Where's the body? Well, that brings us to the final scene of our mystery thriller. Scene one, the unexpected morning. Scene two, the shock of their lives. Scene three, the elaborate cover-up. And scene four, the only explanation. Now look, if this were an episode of Agatha Christie's Poirot, at this point we find ourselves in the lounge of the seaside hotel and Major and Mrs Prendergast are there and and Miss Percival, the sister of Mrs Rose, is knitting around the circle and Jack and Jill Long are there. No one knows whether Jack and Jill are married or not but they've come down there for a holiday and old Mr Joseph, he's lived in the hotel for years, a suspicious looking figure and no one knows if that's his real name anyway. And then there's old Canon Whistle who's there with his wife on holiday and several other people in the circle. At last, Pryro's got them all together. And he says, "Uh, you will know, won't you, Canon Whistle and Major and Mrs Prendergast and Mrs Rose and Jack and Jill, you will know that for a fortnight I've been able to get no clues to solve this mystery and then, very, very unexpectedly, a piece of paper came into my hands. And then that's when the camera goes round to see which faces are going to go white. The piece of paper I found in, in Canon Whistle's bedroom He's preparing a sermon at Fort St. Timothy's Parish Church at Lesser Whittingham in the Vale and... Oh, look, I can't carry on. This is just too much. (laughs) Enough of that. You know how it goes. Well, here's the moment when we're going to discover the mystery of the missing body. But it's very important to realise it's not something we can discover on our own at all. Not even Pryro, with all his powers of deduction, could work this out. Left here, all we can say is that the body's not in the tomb. We need an explanation. The event itself doesn't tell us anything. A missing body on its own doesn't prove anything. And that's why the angel has been sent from heaven. Because we need to have this situation explained to us. And so you see, the angel's words are the most important part of this whole episode. And so if you've taken no notice of anything else this morning, please don't miss what the angel says. See verse 5, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Afraid. That's the first thing. Don't be afraid. And it's much more than don't be afraid of the circumstances, the earthquake and the angel. It's much more than that. The angel means don't be afraid of anything any longer. We'll see, Jesus says exactly the same thing to Mary and Mary when he meets them. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of global warming or terrorism or an interest rate rise or the future or anything. Not even death. Don't be afraid. See, when death has been defeated, there's a guarantee of life beyond the grave, then there is nothing left to be afraid of. I'll never forget the words of a a friend shortly after I'd become a Christian. He too was a Christian and he said to me, when I put my head on my pillow at night, I know that ultimately everything's okay. Isn't that brilliant? That's what the resurrection does for us. Do you know that sense of peace? that ultimately everything is okay. That's what the resurrection says, don't be afraid. 
And the angel explains why. Don't be afraid, verse 5, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Jesus is risen. Remarkable. Just three words. Jesus is risen. But life-transforming. Words that alter the face of the universe. And here, of course, is why the stone was removed. Not to let the risen Jesus out, but to let the women in. So they could see that Jesus' body wasn't in the tomb. So they would know that Jesus isn't dead. He's risen. And notice that remarkable phrase in verse 6. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. See, Jesus had promised that he would rise from the dead. He said it again and again. Read through Matthew's Gospel and you'll see he says it again and again. Let's just look at one of the times that he said it by turning back a couple of pages to chapter 26 and verse 31. Page 996, chapter 26, verse 31. Here's one of the times when Jesus said he would rise from the dead. Verse 31, uh, Jesus told the disciples, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And verse 32, But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Those words are amazing. See what he's saying to the disciples? He's saying, synchronise watches, we'll rendezvous in Galilee after they've killed me. No one else can say that and then deliver on it. What a promise. Jesus said he would rise from the dead and he did. So don't be afraid. You see, if Jesus has delivered on this one, then he can be trusted on everything else he said. Jesus said he would rise from the dead and he did. Then you and I know that everything else he said will come true. All the other promises he ever made, he'll deliver on. See what this means? It means you can trust his words. You can trust this book. So as we close, turn back to chapter 28 and verse 8. Chapter 28, verse 8. The women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. There it is again, don't be afraid. And notice the very important detail in verse 9. They clasped his feet. This was not a figment of their imagination. This wasn't just wishful thinking. They, They hadn't expected Jesus to rise from the dead. And this wasn't a ghost. They they grab hold of his feet. See, the the angel has explained the mystery and now the women have experienced it. Here's the body of Jesus. Risen from the dead. And that incidentally is why we believe in a bodily, tangible resurrection for those who follow him. Because he rose bodily, we too will. And so the mystery is solved. The mystery of the missing body And not only that mystery, but the mystery of life itself. See, I meet people all the time who are asking the big questions of life. People who've perhaps just had a new baby. And they look at this little baby with the little tiny fingers and little toes and tiny little nose. And they say to themselves, I'm not happy that with the explanation that life is just an accident, a cataclysmic explosion billions of years ago. 
They ask big questions of life. I met people in the middle of life when they, 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 they've gone through life and they've got everything they ever wanted and then they suddenly say, well, but so what? I've got it all and now what? And they ask the big questions of life. I find it when I take funerals. I meet people in, sitting in this church, desperately sad, asking the big questions of life. What is life all about? What happens when I die? Well, turn to Jesus, you see, and the mystery is solved. There's nothing to fear. Turn to Jesus and I don't have to try and change the day I die. Because turn to Jesus and I discover the day I die, I will be changed. Isn't that something? Well, in a moment, Lydia and Peter are going to lead us in prayer, but before they come to do that, let me say to you, if I may, that if you're thinking about these things and you're saying, it's been great to be here this morning, but I'm still not convinced that Jesus has risen from the dead, here's a great book you could pick up. It's on the bookstall over in the church centre. It's called Who Moved the Stone? written by Frank Morrison. He wrote it uh, years ago. Uh, He was a lawyer and he set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the opening chapter is called The Book That Refused to Be Written. See, as he looked into the evidence as a lawyer, he discovered, in fact, that the resurrection was true. And he ended up writing quite a different book. That would be a good book to get if you're looking into these things and not sure yet. And for those of you who want to know some more, Well, we run a course here called Christianity Explored. It begins in May. May the 8th is the date. And you can pick up one of these leaflets, fill it in, send it to us, pop it in the post, hand it to me, and we'll tell you more about that course where you can discover about the resurrection and all the other things we believe as well. For now, let's have a moment of silence and then Lydia and Peter will lead us in prayer.